0: Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Now, despite my sermon title, The Social Principles of the United Methodist Church do not have a section titled, Show Me the Money. (laughs) The Social Principles do have a section titled, The Economic Community. In the church calendar, we are in the season after Epiphany. Epiphany is the holiday in the church calendar when we remember the visit of those Magi foreigners to see the Christ child. The church has taken this to mean that God is here for the whole world, not just the people of one community or one tribe or one religion. Founder of Methodism, John Wesley, echoes this sentiment when he said, The world is my parish. And the United Methodist Church today continues to speak to what it means to see the whole world as our parish. One of the ways the United Methodist Church speaks to this is through our social principles, which are the United Methodist Church's official voice on a variety of social or political issues, and this morning's uh, sermon is one in a series on this topic. This morning's Gospel reading comes from the Gospel According to Luke and what could be called Jesus' First Sermon. Jesus has just been baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit and he began to teach in synagogues. Then Jesus goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, the town where he grew up. First he reads scripture, a reading from the prophet Isaiah. He reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then comes the part where he shocks people. Jesus finishes his reading from Isaiah and then tells all the people who are gathered there in the synagogue, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine if Bill stood up and read the scripture for the morning or any of our liturgists and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, or in other words, the scripture I have just read is about me. Jesus shocked people. On that day when Jesus reads those words that say, God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he is actually speaking of himself. Jesus is anointed to bring the good news, to make that proclamation. He shocked everyone by saying this, and eventually, if we were to continue the reading beyond the point where our scripture for this morning ended, we see that he angered people as well. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. There are many scholars who say that Luke is more concerned with economic justice than any other gospel writer. So it's fitting to choose this reading from Luke's Gospel on this day when we are taking a look at what the United Methodist Church says about economics. I'm not going to review the passages in Luke that demonstrate his above-average concern for the poor and responsibilities he assigns to the rich, although that would be a worthy study. But let's take a look at what the United Methodist social principles say about economics and about how the Christian faith might guide us in matters of money, whether as individuals, but particularly as a society. First, a note about biblical translation. Jesus reads that he is to bring good news to the poor. Later in Luke's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Plain, which is Luke's version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "'Blessed are you who are poor.'" This word poor is an economic term. It doesn't describe people who are poor in lack of values or lack of joy or lack of community or other ways we might understand this. It means materially poor. This is an indication of Luke's interests, and we can see that partly by looking at the difference between Luke and Matthew. Where Luke says, blessed are the poor, Matthew says instead, Blessed are the poor in spirit, suggesting a more metaphorical sense of poor than what Luke had in mind. Luke is talking literally about materially poor people, both in the Beatitudes and today where Jesus reads the words from Isaiah. Jesus also says that he will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What this means, the year of the Lord's favor, is a subject of much debate, There is a tradition in scripture which we heard about in the reading from Leviticus this morning. It's a tradition that Jesus refers to going way back into the Old Testament. It's a tradition of a practice called a jubilee year. After 49 years, the community was instructed by God, commanded by God really, to forgive all debts. To allow anyone to return home. Meaning that if a family or person had had to sell their home out of need, or out of poverty, then in this jubilee year, they had the right to return home. Many people believe that that is the year of the Lord's favor that Isaiah writes about, and that Jesus read on that day um, when he is saying that the Spirit has anointed him. This is the year when the playing field would once again be evened, when debts would be forgiven, when people who had lost their homes would be able to return to their homes. Debt is clearly wreaking havoc with people's personal lives and with the economic structures of nations in our world today. In light of this, it's interesting to think about this ancient biblical tradition of returning people to their homes or forgiving debt after a period of time. In our time, there's been a movement calling for cancellation of third world debt, Originally, a movement called Jubilee 2000, which called for the cancellation of debt by the year 2000. Christian leadership was an important part of that movement. And it's hard to even imagine how our world might be different if the poorest countries were relieved of the burden of debt. The 2012 General Conference of the United Methodist Church added a section called Finance to this piece of our social principles on economics which speaks specifically to issues of lending practices and debt. Now to our social principles. Here are a few things the social principles say about economics. First, they make a theological assertion that all economic systems are under the judgment of God. This means, as we say with so many things, that we cannot separate our faith and our economic lives. This applies to how we personally manage our economic or financial lives. But speaking of economic systems applies particularly to national and international economics. As Christians, we are called to advocate for economic systems that promote economic justice. All economic systems are under the judgment of God. The section on our economic community goes on to cover a range of specific topics, It includes property, collective bargaining, work and leisure, consumption, poverty, foreign workers, gambling, family farms, corporate responsibility, trade and investment, graft and corruption, and public indebtedness. So the church, once again, tries to cover a number of real-life, present-day issues. It gets pretty specific in weighing in on particular secular systems— And again, my challenge to our social principles is that I believe this list of issues could go on much longer than it does, so I'm not entirely sure how they chose what made it into the list and what was left out. And this is why, as I said last week, I think it's always best for the church to speak theologically so that we don't find ourselves with a list of particular issues that's either too long a list or too limited— or above all, too arbitrary. The social principles do make some statements that really speak to values when they speak about economics. In the first subsection under the economic community, the social principles say, we believe private ownership of property is a trusteeship under God. We believe that Christian faith denies to any person or group of persons exclusive and arbitrary control of any part of the created universe. This statement expresses the most fundamental understanding of this Christian principle we call stewardship. Everything belongs to God, the whole created universe. Whatever we have, we hold in trust for God. An understanding that everything belongs to God places limits on how human entities might control or use property, understanding property as part of God's created universe. Our social principles state that we deplore a selfish spirit. This seems to me to be a statement about our spiritual lives, collectively as well as individually, and how this impacts economics. The social principles go on to say, as a church... We are called to support the poor and challenge the rich. You know what? Most of us here are the rich. We might not feel that way all the time, and not everyone who is a part of this church community is rich by any standard, but when you look at the global population, and you look at those in the U.S. who struggle most, most of us here are rich. And the church says We're called to support the poor and challenge the rich. How do you feel about being challenged? Do you welcome being challenged by your church? Would it make you mad? Some of the best theological language around economics comes in the subsection titled Graft and Corruption. Here's some of what it says God's good creation, the fullness of its bounty. And the loving, nurturing relationships that bind all together are intended by God to be enjoyed in freedom and responsible stewardship. To revere God's creation is a sacred trust that enables us to fashion just, equitable, sustainable relationships and communities. The strength, stability, security, and progress of such relationships and communities. Depends on the integrity of their social, economic, political, and cultural processes, institutions, and stakeholders. Graft. Referring to unfair or illegal means of acquiring money, gain, or advantage, especially by abusing one's position in politics, business, or social institutions, transgresses human dignity and violates human rights. Corruption. referring to dishonest and undue exploitation of power for personal gain, subverts God's intention for the fullness of life and creation. We are talking here about God's intentions for creation and how God's intentions may be supported or thwarted by human systems. This is theological language. I've mentioned before that Katie and I took a money management class a few years back called Financial Peace University. The class was offered here a couple years ago, thanks to Becca Kramer, and we're talking about offering it again in the coming months. The class is taught on video by Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey makes an assertion in his class that was provocative to me. He asserts that money is amoral, that money is neither good nor bad, that you can't place a value judgment on money. He says that money only becomes moral in how you use it and what it means to you. He uses the analogy of a brick. I used matches with the kids this morning because I didn't have a brick handy. A brick has no inherent moral value. If you throw it through a window, it's a problem. But if you use it to build a building, it's a constructive and beautiful resource. I can't quite decide what I think about that perspective on Monday, Money, but certainly money, is an enormous challenge in our society, for us as individuals, and again, for our economic systems. I do think it's true that whether money is a problem, or hopefully a blessing, is based mostly on how we use it, and what it means to us, or what our values are. Our world is a mess right now, in many ways, And we can trace much of that to certain economic systems. Pope Francis says so. The Pope received much attention in in this past year, and especially for statements in the fall, denouncing the global financial system, blasting what he called the cult of money. He says this cult of money is tyrannizing the poor and turning humans into expendable consumer goods. In his first major speech on the subject, Francis demanded that financial and political leaders reform the global financial system to make it more ethical and concerned for the common good. He said, Money has to serve, not rule. The widening gap between rich and poor is well documented. We seek to apply the tenets of our faith to how we conduct business and manage money? Are we going to do this in ways that build up our communities, that build up our world and contribute to a fuller and more abundant life for all? Or are we going to do this in ways that permit the increasing wealth of some at the expense of others? These are questions that we as a society very much need to answer today. There are many, many issues that are up for debate when we consider how we are to follow the guidance of Scripture and what we decide is a proper Christian position on social issues. But there are some things that are not up for debate. Some things that Scripture and the Christian tradition speak clearly about. God blesses the poor and calls us to care for the poor. God holds us accountable for the choices we make about money and how we use our material resources because those choices reflect what's true about our values and thus our faith. And finally, God's vision for economic systems is for systems that foster economic justice and equality rather than those which exacerbate the distance between rich and poor. I am convinced of these truths by the testimony of Scripture and by the witness of the Christian tradition and contemporary Christian voices, may we be willing to live our lives in ways that shape the world according to this vision for justice. Amen. Do we have mics yeah.